He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Those are the first six verses of Psalm 91, which along with Psalm 92 are the psalms appointed for today, Friday, September the 23rd, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green. I'm your host, so thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Esther today, chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, and then verses 15 to 17. Uh, Then, in addition, we will be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 31 to 37, and in the um, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 19, verses 21 to 41. So remember that, that what had happened yesterday was is that Haman had been hoisted on his own petard. He was hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai um, because Esther exposed him as sort of the mastermind behind the plot to kill her people. So on that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. So she explained, he's my uncle. This Mordecai that you just honored, the Mordecai the Jew, (laughs) he is is my uncle. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So she'd been given the house, and then she set Mordecai over the house of Haman, which is, you know, this wonderful poetic justice that he receives the signet ring of the king, which means that that when he acts with that signet ring, he binds the king. Remember yesterday I said you can't bind God by your personal desires to do what, what it is you declare into the world. Uh, here, that's exactly the power that was given to Mordecai by the king. Here's my signet ring, and the signet ring would be the thing that you used to seal a contract, for instance. So you put the wax down, and then you mash that ring with the signet, the signature, the initials of the king into that, and now it's done. So then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. So she's bowing before him, right? She fell at his feet, wept and pleaded with him to avert the plan. And so he reaches out the golden scepter to her again, and she rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. If it pleases you, and if I've found favor, if it seems right, and if I'm pleasing in, the, in your eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people, or how can I bear to see the destruction of my people? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So we're just explaining to you. So he gives permission to them to write up an edict 
that will countermand the other um, other edict. And so what they did was they came up with the idea of they have the right to defend themselves. So as long as they have the right to defend themselves, then, oh, well, this is not going to be quite the rollover we expected. We were going to get rid of these people. Uh, but but maybe that's not such a good plan. That's what the edict did, and those are the verses we skip. So then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and honor. Gladness and joy and honor I get, but the Jews had light which is one of the most important things, and it's the thing Jesus says we need more than anything else, is we need his light in the darkness. And so here we're told the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Like I said, I understand the last three, but light is an interesting thing to ascribe to what they had after this edict went out. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. That feast today is called Purim, and it has to do with lots. And it's a very weird thing to call it that, because what had happened was earlier, lots had been cast before Haman day after day. Essentially, he's he's trying to divine the right thing to do, and then finally the lot shows in the right way. Well, the reason that they call it that is to say it, it showed the way that Haman wanted it, but it ended up being his downfall and the uplifting of the Jews because he took that casting of the lot to be divine intervention, telling him what to do, and it didn't. So Purim is the name of this holiday that's celebrated now, and it's because those lots ultimately became the deliverance of God's people. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. And the fear comes from, hey, they can defend themselves. So we're going to call ourselves Jews so that you'll you know, kind of leave us alone because we're afraid, because we've seen the power of your God. And that's exactly what that means, is the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. It is is a measure of what's actually happened here, and and that is they see what Haman's wife saw, which is, uh uh-oh, even though he doesn't appear, God is in the background doing all these things. So the, the God of the Jews has delivered them in a powerful way from the most powerful enemy other than the king that could be in the entire kingdom. So then Jesus, remember yesterday, he was in Nazareth, and they were attempting to push him off a cliff there, and then he walked out of the midst of them. So he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and it seems to be where Peter and James and John and Andrew are all from. So he goes down there, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So they're already hearing that the way he teaches is different from the way the scribes teach. There's an authority there that they're not accustomed to. And so when they see this teaching, hear this teaching, they recognize that it has a different authority. And you can tell it, right? Whenever you listen to somebody who is an anointed speaker, preacher, teacher person, you can tell this authority that that person possesses because you know that it's led by the Holy Spirit. And so when you hear that authoritative thing, and I don't mean that, that, he, that it, teaching in an authoritarian manner, I mean, no, that you know something is true at a deep, deep level. That's when, that's the kind of authority 
that's going on here. When, when you perceive something to be true at a level that, that's so profound that it couldn't possibly have come from just a natural person, then you know it's that kind of authority that Jesus was teaching with. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the, the people, remember, in Nazareth, they knew he was Jesus of Nazareth. They knew he was Joseph's boy. So the first thing the demon does is confess, is that, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? But, goes on to say, I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. So you're known as Jesus of Nazareth, but I know who you are. You are the Holy One of Israel. So the the Holy One of God. The, The people in Nazareth couldn't get past Jesus of Nazareth to get to Holy One of God because they knew something, right? I mean, that this transformation by the renewing of the mind, that's exactly the kind of thing it's talking about. It's to say, I know that I know this thing, but there's something bigger going on here. And so these people were impressed by his authority in the same way they had been impressed in, in Nazareth until they said he's Jesus of Nazareth. And so now this demon has said, I know who you're pretending to be, which is not exactly the right way to say that, obviously. It's Jesus of Nazareth. I know who you are. I know who you really are, is what that's saying. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. No, he didn't need the testimony of demons. He wanted the teaching and the power to stand on its own as the the testimony and the witness to who he was. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And so there's this familiarity, I think, that, that Jesus had to warn against in, in Nazareth and saying, you know, that, that a prophet doesn't have any honor in his hometown it, it, because they're familiar with him. And they can't wrap their minds around the truth that's being revealed to them because of what they already know. And that's the problem. You know, you, you don't have the authority with the people who know you best sometimes because they're too familiar with you in another capacity. And now they can't wrap their heads around what's actually true about you, the transformation that's happened in you and the transformation that is coming through you. And so people want to relate to you on that other level rather than relating to the new person that stands in front of them. After these events, this is in the uh, Acts lesson, by the way. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia. Now, these events, what we were, what we read about in the last lesson yesterday was that um, the seven sons of Sceva attempting to cast out demons using the name of Jesus, who Paul proclaims. And so after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So there, he's in Ephesus still, but he's sending people on ahead of him into Macedonia to work there. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And way is capitalized here because 
what is it talking about? It's the the way of Christ. It, it's the way of following Jesus. And, and so it's apparently uh, one of the um, titles by which this, this whole thing was known would have been the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made sh- silver shrines of Artemis, which is also known as Diana, depending on whether you're Greek or Roman, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Then these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. All right, so we know exactly what the problem here is, right? So, so our wealth is dependent on the continuation of making these idols. And Paul's been here for the last two years, and he's been saying things and doing things that have disrupted the business. And you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So do you hear me? Do you hear my problem? He's turned a great many people away, saying hands made, or, or gods made with hands are not gods. We can't afford to let that message continue because soon nobody's going to want our stuff because they're not going to believe in it anymore. And there's a danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So, like I said, it can't just be your commercial interest that's being protected. There has to be a national security interest, right? And so the national interest here is, oh, they're trying to depose our God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we get people on board with our cause. When they heard this, they were enraged. These are silversmiths. These are other craftsmen. They were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So that, that... that's their response to Paul's proclamation, his teaching, and the, the power to heal is, is for a bunch of people to stand around yelling, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Well, let's see it. Let's see that greatness. Let's put that on display for everybody. But they didn't have that. So the city was filled with the confusion And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. This is not going to be safe, man. Mm -mm, No, not a good plan. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. They had absolutely no idea what was going on. They just knew that there was some principle at stake for which they needed to stand up. And so they're hearing all this stuff. And, I mean, you've seen this a million times, right? I mean, we we saw it all during that one summer when, when rioting was going on all over America. We saw it on January the 6th of 2021, that there was a great confusion about what's actually going on here, because you get a big enough crowd of people together, then some people are going to be upset about this thing, and some are going to be upset about this thing, and blah, blah, blah. And so all these grievances are coming together, but but there, there needs to be a unifying principle. But here there was not. It was confusion, which is a good thing, because <laughs> as long as there's confusion, then nothing's going to get done. And most of them didn't know why they had come together. I think, you know, that describes so many times what we see in riots and mobs. I'm not even sure why I'm here. I was just kind of drawn to this disorder and chaos at some level. Um, And there must be something important going on. I don't have to think through it. I just have to act emotionally. 
is all I really need to do here. So some of the crowd prompted Alexander, <clears throat> whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Well, so they've at least all coalesced around one issue, right? And that is their God is great. And just proclaim it over and over and over and over and over. And now for two hours, these people are screaming, great is Artemis the Ephesians. You know, it, it, what a bizarre thing that for two hours, these people just go on and on and on with this proclamation that is absolutely and utterly meaningless, given what these people have seen Paul do. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? I don't know about this sacred stone that falls from the sky thing. But, but he says, look, there's no reason to stand here and proclaim the great is Artemis of the Ephesians. We all know that. It's a silly thing for you to proclaim that. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. They're not even talking about our goddess. That, that, that he, that Paul probably wasn't sitting around talking about Artemis worship at all. No, he didn't have to. He was lifting up Jesus. And in lifting up Jesus, everything else gets lowered. And so he probably was not speaking against Artemis worship, but there wouldn't be any reason to. He's just trying to convert you to, to true power and to greatness. <clears throat> If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and they're proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. What, th this town clerk was a guy that people really ought to admire because he's in the midst of this huge mob of people who have lost their minds, and it's completely chaos, and it's all confusion, and yet this guy says, I think I see the problem. <laughs> I think it's these guys. It's Demetrius and these other silversmiths. And you know what? Here's the deal. If you've got a problem with them, there are courts of law, and you can file a complaint. You can take them to court. How about that? That's the real plan. There's, pl there's plenty of ways for the re to redress this grievance. There's no reason for it to become what it has, because that issue, the greatness of our God, is not at stake here. So, if you seek anything further, it'll be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. So the issue of rioting is it disturbs the peace of Rome. And, and, and so everything needs to look good on the outside. It needs to be calm and clear and all this kind of stuff. But you guys are pushing the envelope here, and it's, it's going to be a problem. Rome's going to crack down if we don't get this under control now and the thing that has to be gotten under control is well you and you and you and you and you and you because you're the ones who are who are doing this and ultimately it's going to be a real problem so we need to calm down and we need to all go home and let these guys who make their complaint let them do that through the courts of law and when he had said these things he dismissed the assembly this town clerk was an extraordinary guy he saw through to the root of the problem to the truth of things and and then he got that crowd quieted down and helped them to move from confusion and chaos to order and truth. So that's the thing that we should be able to do as well as Christians. Whenever we find ourselves in the midst of, of chaos and confusion, we should take a minute, pray, and ask the Lord to show us the truth. 
and then to act on that truth to bring peace and order to things, just as Jesus did here with this um, demonic, demon-possessed guy in the synagogue. He cut through the confusion and the chaos in his life, dealt with the problem, spoke to it, and threw it out of him. And, And that silencing of the demon and then the removal of the demon bore witness to Jesus in ways far more eloquent than the demon itself did when it it tried to give witness to who Jesus was. It's always critical that we take the time to pray, to ask God to show us in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the fear and all that stuff, to say, Lord, show us the way out. Show us what you would have us do in this situation. And it's exactly what Esther did. And it's exactly what she and Mordecai did when they wrote the counter edict to the initial thing that had been done at the prompting of Haman. We need to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves.